welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Peter Ling, who runs the Smart Betting Club. Pete, thank you very much for coming on. The Business of Betting podcast is proudly brought to you by the Betfair Hub from Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you want expert articles from pro punters, from building automated models to betting psychology, check out the Betfair Hub. Betfair.com.au slash hub. Gamble responsibly. Peter Ling, who runs the Smart Betting Club. Pete, thank you very much for coming on. Hi, Jake. It's great to, to be invited back on. Looking forward to getting into some of the uh, topics that we uh, haven't spoken about since the, the first podcast we did. Yeah, it's been a, probably a couple of years now since we last spoke. And I know plenty of people uh, loved hearing from you last time. So I'm, I'm excited to have you back on. And I figure it might be a good place to start just to just to give us a uh, a refresher on the Smart Betting Club, and I know plenty of people uh, have probably seen it and, and been to the site and so on, and, and use the the tools and services that you offer. But do, if you don't mind, just uh, spend a couple of minutes telling telling us about that and maybe how how it might have even changed over the last couple of years since we last spoke. Well, I think the main change since we last spoke is the name change. We probably were the secret betting club back then. Uh, that was uh, heralded back to an old name that we had and. The kind of name secret had long. I used to get messages saying, "You realise it's not a secret anymore." I was like, "Yes, yes, you're, you're the fiftieth <laughs> person who's told me that." Um, so yeah, we changed it to Smart Betting Club, just fitted in with what we try and do. Um, in terms of what we do at Smart Betting Club, our main uh, our main areas uh, focuses on tipsters, so handicappers for American audience tipsters, and we evaluate independently, review and evaluate and keep. Uh, reporting back on their ongoing performance of tipsters. So if you're interested in that aspect and finding people who are experts and who are making a profit from their betting or we're following, then you'll come to us and we give you the independent analysis. We, like I say, we, we don't take any, we don't use affiliate reviews, um, links. And so we don't take a cut from writing our reviews and you know, we're, we're funded by our, our members. So it helps us present a well-rounded independent viewpoint. Uh, and alongside doing all this stuff on the tipster world, our remit has expanded um, in, in recent years. So we focus on anything that impacts people who bet or try and bet shrewdly. Um, so it could be bookmakers. Uh, it could be you know some of the fundamentals like staking plans, betting banks, anything that anything and everything that factors in and impacts people who bet. So that's that's part of what we look at at the moment. So the primary primary work is tipster stuff. But then if you're interested in anything to do with you know what it uh, anything to do with the sharper side of the betting sense if you like then you know that's something we also cover what level of or what breadth do you have now in terms of verified uh you know possibilities for your members in terms of tipsters across different sports is it 10 sports is it 25 sports is it honing in on you know some of the soccer around the world and maybe some of the big you know big four u.s sports and so on or what type of uh coverage do you have across different sports so the main areas of influence, main membership for members and numbers comes from Europe. So a lot of the focus is on European areas of interest. So there is, you know, there is a growing number of people interested in the, the four sports, the big four sports in the States, uh, but there isn't as many, as many tips as that we cover. So the majority of, uh, of sports that we cover are things like UK and Irish horse racing. And then certainly football, soccer is a really big sport, very difficult not to crack. Um, but some of the tips that we do see, I do see a very niche and specialist getting into you know, certain leagues or certain 
very granular into like second division of Spain or something like that. Um, and then we also see a lot more on golf and there's always tennis and cricket and a few other sports. But I would say the main few are horse racing, football, golf and maybe tennis as well. Um, you know, I do like I do um, want to expand further into some of the American sports. Uh, but uh, there's a lot to explore on that front. Uh, there's so many different uh, tipsters and so many different considerations to get into. So that's that's a slow burner at the moment on that front. What about 2020 and COVID? Did that have any impact on on the tipster world in some strange way? I don't really have a, uh, a clear direction with this question other than were there things that popped up throughout that time for the business and, and Smart Betting Club that were interesting or unique or were, were there more table tennis handicappers popping up and that type of thing uh, i think there was you know we didn't really cover anyone betting on belarusian second division or table tennis in south korea or whatever it might be <laughs> because you know <laughs> i mean that's that's just kind of feed in a narrative where people bet because they want to bet and they need to bet um rather than actually placing a value bet a shrewd bet if you like so yeah. unless you're especially in some of these markets then you know, don't bother getting involved um, with them unless you are very clear that you can spot an edge over the bookmaker. So, yeah, it did have an impact. I think the impact was, obviously, we had nothing to bet on for a couple of months, but um, the subsequent impact was more on the return to sport. So let's take a sport like horse racing. Again, it's a really popular sport for betting. You had two and a half months with no racing, and that had a knock-on impact in terms of form going into June, July, August, and beyond, where you had horses that maybe hadn't had the runs across, you know, in the, the few months prior to, to running like they should have had. They had stables where they didn't have horses going out and they were training and all kinds of considerations. And again, the same for like football, the teams are not able to, to train properly, train in small groups. So it was very hard, I think, to, to judge form. And we saw a lot of variance, especially in June and July, a lot of strange results. I think um, there were some stats about uh, the number of bigger price winners being much larger in terms of the proportion um, in, in the uh, in the subsequent months to its return. So I think that's calmed down a little bit now, but um, that seemed to be the biggest issue. Uh, so, you know, in terms of, did you start straight away, betting straight away upon sports return? I think the best approach was to wait. And I did speak to some people who wait who waited before, you know, getting back involved with their with their betting, which is it's very difficult because if you haven't bet for two and a half months and that's <laughs> that's your bread and butter, then you know, while it's going on again and you, you just sit there and say, I'm just gonna ride this one out for another two months. Um it takes some uh yeah, it takes something to actually do that, I think. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting, especially on the horse racing side, because I was I was in Australia when the equine influenza hit, and I think it was off the top of my head, it was probably 2006, 2007, something like that. And it was the same sort of thing. There was a big chunk of time with with no horse racing, and and gamblers are notorious, especially in, in horse racing, I would say, for not being able to take a day off because there's always another race, there's always another horse to, to analyze, and, and that continue, continues on basically uh, forever if you, if you want to look at it that way. So it was a an interesting period where you had that forced layoff of time if you're following a certain type of horse racing or, or even sports. And then you're right, the the interesting variable of, of how COVID would impact return to sports and, and even crowds and crowd noise and home field advantage and all these different things. I'm guessing there may be an element for, for those shrewd punters out there who were uh, looking at these things could potentially find an advantage or find a way to... Um, 
get back into it and maybe do things a little bit differently to the norm and try and capture some of the advantage that's out there because of the, you know, the obvious uh, change to the way things have, have always been done. Yeah, I spoke to someone who's a football veteran talking about the number of goals that take place in games now. Um, and they get into specific teams uh, where potentially you'd have vociferous crowds behind them and that forced them to, to go for a winner or keep playing until the 90th minute or extra time to score a goal. Whereas you may find people, teams will sit back and take a 2-0 win uh, rather than try and you know, pull a goal back. and Sorry, take a 2-0 loss rather than try and pull a goal back and keep going or settle for a draw because there's no crowd to push them on. So he certainly had felt there'd been a change in the goal market. So adapting to that was was important. So just something simple like over two and a half goals is such a popular line. Uh, instead of moving to the over two goals in the Asian line. So if you get two goals, you get your stake back. So just to cover that kind of thing. So I think, you know, talking to certain people in the industry and how they bet, yeah, there's these little nuanced changes that you have to be aware of and you have to get a feel sometimes for you know, the change because of COVID. And then there'll probably be, again, I was speaking to someone the other day, like, how are you preparing for when crowds do come back? Do you think, you know, you need to have an adjustment period again because, you know, the, there'll be a swing to maybe where over two and a half and goal, two and a half goals is, is the market uh, to take again. So, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging time for, for all, for everyone, obviously, but from a betting point of view, um, some unique things that are cropping up that we've never had to confront before. Yeah, certainly. And I think the, the markets themselves, I wanted to ask you if you've noticed much across the betting markets because, you know, I've certainly seen with the, the nature of COVID and injury, not injuries, but um, injury reports, let's say, where they have COVID, you know, players listed as, as out for COVID or, or day-to-day or whatever they might say, um, you know, quarantine periods for players who've been in close contact and all these types of things. It's it's kind of played around with the markets a fair bit on, on different sports depending on how impactful it is and what the quarantine period looks like. But have you noticed much else other than that? Because I've certainly seen periods of time where you would expect markets to be up for, for team sports, and then that hasn't happened. Have there been any other impacts that you've noticed across betting markets around the world? Uh, probably, but nothing crops, comes to mind at the moment. Um, you know, I, I think the bookmakers are still are, are also trying to feel their way through this as well because it's such a, an unknown uh, situation. So, um, you know, I think when, like, I think as well, we'll see. You know, when we're a few years down the line, we may be able to look back and look at things and go, well, we've got a full data sample here. We can see what the pattern was like. Uh, but I haven't noticed anything else. I mean, at the end of this chat, I'll probably think of a few things, but nothing right now jumps to mind. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I do know some people that are treating this as, well, this is an advantage in my favor because I'm going to be able to pick up some of those things and, and capture you know, some of that hopefully edge that does exist. And they're going to be quickest to move and, and play around with some things. So it'll be interesting to see if, that's prolonged into 2021 and how long and, and then beyond even even right now like I think the Australian Open tennis is a good example uh, obviously you know in Melbourne where I'm from so I'm keeping an eye on some of that but just the the, the nature of travel um, you know some of the discontent by the players how they're going to actually get the tournament done and all these types of things make it interesting and obviously the like you said it's a good point in terms of bookmakers they're dealing with it just as much and it's probably even more difficult for a bookmaking organization in many respects compared to a sole proprietor who might be picking up on some of these things and, and maybe getting a decent price about some some tennis players in, in in the Australian Open or you know golf tournaments and all these other things where there's a hell of a lot happening in, in everyone's world well yeah it t- talk about golf there and certainly I think we've seen some golfing events went on during the 
the summer and the and the autumn where you had where COVID was raging and, and you've got players getting pulled out halfway through through an event and favourites pulling out the day before or you know and it makes a dramatic impact. I think John Rahm's pulled out the one this week, but I'm not sure if that was due to COVID. But he was the favourite or one of the strong favourites. So you know it. it I suppose it's one of those considerations, unless you know, you know, such and such a player has got to self-isolate or he um, he's stuck in a hotel room for two weeks and he's been eating chocolate all day. I don't know if you, uh, it's very hard to kind of, um, to get a sense of uh, where, where there's an edge on that. I, I think you just have to adapt and uh, be very quick and very play fluid. So when, you know, if you are taking on a series of golf bets and the favourite drops out, uh, unexpectedly that an hour before the start of the tournament you need to be quick and be able to adjust accordingly so i was reading your your article you released earlier in january about some some tips for 2021 and i want to talk about a couple of those and the first one that everyone struggles with in my opinion in the gambling world and myself included is is as you put it hiring the right experts and it's something that i have talked to a number of people about and the whole idea of tipsters and and buying or paying for services and things like that and i still maintain there are plenty of reasons why it's a good idea and including you know for myself if i go back to australia and and want to go to flemington or or rose hill or ranwick and watch some some horse races and and have a few bets i'd rather have an expert on my side to try and get me back to you know break even or slight advantage with a bit of luck rather than losing at the you know the theoretical hold of some of those markets but take me through take me through that and and just you know some of the the thoughts you had when putting that article together yeah, so there's no doubt that when you come to evaluate tipsters, there are plenty of rogue sites out there. Some are more obvious than others. So if you get on social media, you find people that set up an account yesterday or they'll set up 10 accounts and, and just drill down until they've got the one that's the most profitable and, and you use that. So, you know, it's just simple tools like you could just avoid social media tipsters altogether, for example. But you're always going to get that in an un- unregulated world. Uh, and even... Even uh, in any industry, certainly more regulated ones, you're going to get good builders, bad builders, good lawyers, bad lawyers. And it's about doing your research, isn't it? You wouldn't get a guy in to build an extension to your house and just take the first person you came across on Google. You'd ask your friends, you'd ask your neighbors, you'd get recommendations, you would do your research online, you'd see what reviews they had, you'd see if there's any negative reviews. And it's similar to the tipster world, you know, people would come to us to get that. And, and when it comes to hiring an expert, you know, but people say, oh, you can't, you should never use tipsters or you should, should always use tipsters or you should, you know, should never bet, bet each way. You should always bet to win. And there's so many shades of grey in this. You know, um, I can speak from experience. I know you can make a profit from, from using tipsters. And I see it firsthand all the time with the members of my service and the people I liaise with. But certainly there are people out there who struggled and maybe they've just chosen the wrong ones. Maybe they've made some poor decisions and, and, and quit too early or staked badly. But with the right setup uh, and with the right experts, you, you really can uh, make a go of it. And um, your betting is hard. Your betting is very, very difficult to make a profit from. And you, you're up against the bookmaker who's got access to all the information that you don't have. They've got the time, the inclination to study it. They've got teams of people. They've got all the data that feeds it. They've got all the experience. They've got their overround. So you're up against that. So the idea that you can walk off the street and suddenly beat them, even if you've got a modicum of knowledge about the sport or betting, it's um, it's unrealistic. So there is no harm in choosing an expert to guide you, as you were saying, in, in Australia. Uh, and it's just a matter of being sensible and choosing somebody that uh, is realistic. Um, isn't going it's, it's not like a guru that's you know, a self-help guru or some kind of get-rich-quick scheme. Um, 
And if you take that sensible, logical approach, you know, it, it is profitable. So if people are listening and they've tried it and it's not worked for them, then I challenge them to think again and, and take a closer look at you know, some of the experts we evaluate or some of the other ones out there. So obviously, to do what we do. And, um, you know, because I do think that with an open mind, it, it can make a difference. One of the other points you talked about was dealing with the downswings and, and losing weeks and months and, and how to do that. And it's a, a point that comes up often, you know, on this podcast with the psychology and mentality of, of being in gambling and dealing with that and, and all the mat- all the mathematical possibilities that exist on certain outcomes and variants and stuff like that. Have you found any any ways that are beneficial? Um, I think, you know, it's certainly something that is pretty personal. I think some people deal with it better than others and, and have different ways of coping and so on. Um, and, you know, trusting their, their process and what they've been able to do over a, a track record of time. Do you Have you seen any of the, the people you've analyzed do it in certain ways? Or is there anything specific that you might want to touch on when it comes to the topic of dealing with the downswings? Uh, well, I feel like uh, an education of, of some simple, basic uh, betting principles can really help because if you don't understand value betting, if you don't understand some basic sequences, uh, probability and, and the sequences and how the odds you strike a bet at can you know, affect you in terms of sequences and what you might expect, then you're going to struggle to handle losing ones. You, don't, you can't, can't put them into the perspective and context that they need. So I was speaking to someone else recently about this and he said, actually, the if you come in off the street and you don't really have any knowledge of it, it's not a big learning curve. You could learn it in the morning, a lot of these key concepts. Um, and if you could get a grasp of what you can expect if you're placing bets at average odds of five to one, you know what, what can you expect in terms of a bad sequence? And then you are prepared for when that bad sequence hits. Um, people are far too focused on what they can make versus what they might lose at different times and how they need a bankroll and how they need to be... Uh, how they need to, to approach it in terms of expectations. Um, you know, I, I I follow several tipsters and I, I don't watch the, I don't watch the bets myself. Uh, I'm busy enough to not watch every horse race or football <laughs> or golf event that's taken place. And I often get messages. Have you seen this? I'm like, no, I, I, I'm doing something else. And because the event's going on and, and it's happening, but I don't need to watch it. You know, I, I don't. I'm not selecting that bet. You know, I'm not sat down and said, I'm going to back Lille today to beat Ran in, in League One in, in, in France. I trust that the guys told me that Lille is a solid bet uh, are worth backing at those odds because they're value. And I don't need to watch that game and get frustrated by a 90th minute penalty that the, the striker for the team I want to win uh, sends over the bar. So, um, yeah, so there's some of the tips that I, I find, but I don't think it's too difficult to get, um, to get some of these... Uh, become adapted to to what you need to know for to, to, to kind of handle sequences um it's just about having uh you know spending a bit of time and educating yourself on, uh, on some key concepts and, and i do think and i do find from experience dealing with other people that they can make a difference and make it a bit of a smoother ride at times yeah it's one of the things that just came to mind when you were describing that is whether or not it's I mean, easy is not the right word, but just coping with a downswing if you're using a tipster or using an expert to help you with that. And it's funny, I'm sure many people uh, invest in the stock market or use a, an intermediary or some other third party to help them with that. And when the stock market goes down, maybe they do, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't get the feeling that I need to pick up the phone and yell at the investment advisor because the stock market went down. It's just, you know, that's the way the stock market works sometimes. And, you know, maybe they did some stupid things in terms of allocations and all that sort of stuff, but hopefully you can 
deal with that in advance. But I don't know. Is have you had much experience with, with people being more upset or less upset uh, when they're using tipsters and experts to help them, or is it something that you know, as long as you know what you're getting yourself into, um, you should be able to deal with it, as opposed to picking the the horses yourself and losing versus using a tipster. I think people are quicker to to be more critical, certainly. Or if you yeah. if you um, say if you're flying in an airplane, you're a lot much nervous because you're not flying it than if you were driving in a car. And the percentage chances of you being in a car accident are so much greater than you know being in a a plane crash. Uh, so it's this this, uh, this bias that you have where because you can't control, oh you can, you don't place the bet, but you, it's it's uh, people do uh, quicker to to certainly to judge and put that pressure on to say, look, why is this losing run happening? And, and making it all about the, the tips to themselves and saying they're picking out bad bets when it, it's just variance. So unfortunately, I, I do find if people are, um, if, if people are picking it themselves, they're more likely to be self-critical and be analytical of it and go, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Am I doing something wrong? And go up back over it and go, well, actually, if I had my time again, I would pick that same bet. It just, it wasn't a bad bet because it lost. Um, you know, it was a good bet because it was a value price. You're not saying it's going to win. You're saying it's a value price that you've taken. So I do think that, um, yeah, to answer your question, certainly people are more critical if a tipster's advising. So related to this, I think you did some research on on some of these swings and bad runs and stuff like that where you can have 20-plus, you know, losing bets in a row. And depending on the approach of the, the expert, the tipster, the person who's behind it, that can be very normal, um, especially if they're aiming for longer price horses or, or all the different variations of approaches. Um, did you, you know, going through that process and then sharing it and talking to people about it, what was the, the feedback, the understanding level like? Was it something that people grasped or is it still one of those things where if you're signing up for an expert and they lose 11 in a row, 17 in a row, 25 in a row, whatever it is, um, that's part of the possibilities of, of outcomes? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of what we do is uh, education and sometimes it's reiterating similar points, but with a different way of approaching it. And it's because uh, I find betters need that uh, reinforcing on a regular basis. So when it comes to, for example, the, the topic of sequences, yes, I, I put out, it's got a decent amount of traction actually, I put out an article, I think it was in uh, the start of December and it focused on a recommended tips that's go, been going since 2000, I think, and made a profit in most years since then. Um, certainly have got a very good edge. And if you follow them the long term, you, you do quite well. And it was interesting because at the start of November, just taking November in isolation, their first 26, they did one bet a day, the first 26 bets all lost. So I think there was two non-runners. So the first 28 days, you had 26 losses, uh, losers in sequence. And then the, the question was, would you still follow this? Tipster? Because as luck would have it, the next five bets all won. So 29th of November to the 2nd of December, um, they all won. And if you took it over the, the period of 31 bets, you made a, the profit of exactly, you know, higher than you would imagine, would actually normally make. But the strike rate was spot on for what it made long term over, you know, 20 years. So it's a really good um, an analysis of what can happen because the, I, I find that people would quit too soon. And that's often the biggest barrier between success and failure. I, I, I could give. 10 people a uh, winning portfolio and then come back, let them go, say, go away, go, go and follow these guys, go and follow these tipsters and this is what you stake. And then I'll come back six months later and maybe only three or four of them are still making it a success. A couple maybe 
broken even and then maybe three or four are, are showing a loss and often the, that's the biggest barriers people will quit too soon uh, a failure to understand these kind of sequences of what you can expect because five out of i think it was five out of 31 it, it hit uh the strike rate of about 50 percent and this long-term service had one in seven bets win but it doesn't mean every seventh bet will go on to win it just means you know if you have a big enough sample that that'll be it's just like flipping a coin, isn't it? You wouldn't expect five heads and five tails from the first 10 coin flips. And then you just need to do it enough time to get that, the, the, the strike rate to, to, to manifest itself. But yeah, it goes back to education because if, um, if people understand and their expectations are realistic at the start and they set up appropriately, so they set up with a bank to cover for, hey, a 26 losing run might well happen here. A bit longer could, could well happen. Um, and if they have that in mind, I think uh, they are that much more able to cope with it when, when those bad runs do hit. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. It's it's hard to do in the moment, but obviously if you've either written down some of the guiding principles you have and why you're doing it, then it can certainly help. But have you found that many people that are looking in the direction of experts and tipsters that they aren't really prepared and ready for that and understanding what can happen and what might happen and what does happen. Um, and you know, you might need to get in early on the education or, or what percentage of people do you think who go into the idea of, of hiring a tipster or an expert, uh, aren't capable yet of fully understanding what the possibilities look like? Well, I think the wide, the majority of people wouldn't have, wouldn't be familiar with that. No, uh, whether it's their own betting or following tips, they won't be expecting that. And that's why so many people struggle because they have a failure to con- conceive what, strike rate of sequences may may look like um you know type of thing should should the betting be taught you know should it be kind of a on the syllabus for, for i can't imagine it in a million sundays um a month of sundays kind of being on the <laughs> educational syllabus and how, how to bet uh, and how to understand sequences but it is um it is something that uh, most people don't don't grasp and don't understand and that's why i make such a big song and dance about it and try and reiterate some of these key points because um you know, even with the best world in the world, when you're in a bad run and you're, you're, having a, you're having a tough time, you do sometimes need to fall back on uh, reading articles like that or talk to somebody who can say, hey, this is entirely normal. Um, or, and that's something else I, I suggest to people is, you know, um, if you're betting, certainly have an accountability partner. If, whether you do that with somebody else, like you're betting with somebody else or it's your wife or it's your father or it's somebody that you trust who's got the time to to pull it apart and say, why have you made that decision? Why did you stop that? And why did you invest in that? You know, you, you might do it for other walks of life, which are effectively betting, like the stock market. Um, but you might not think to do it in, in betting. You might keep it to yourself. You might hide it away. It's pure betting. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's not approved of by some people. So um, I think that having someone to bounce ideas off is another thing because um, uh, sometimes it just prevents you from making those emotional decisions. Uh, and let's face it, betting can be very emotional at times when money's involved and you're watching a race and your horse comes second for the 25th time. So, <laughs> <laughs> I I wish it was on the syllabus because I think there's so much to pick up and learn and, and maybe it won't reach everyone, but I would hope it does just so whenever a average person walks into the casino, they at least have some understanding of what's going to happen or, or when the average person, you know, gets on an airplane or gets in their car or, do, or just does general life stuff. They can understand what, what the outliers look like, what the possibilities are and, and why the, the seemingly unlikely can fit well within a, a standard deviation of some of this stuff, because, you know, there's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of examples in life where 
people think it's strange or unusual or unique or something they could never possibly have imagined and you just have to read the newspaper and and you basically hear every 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 year you hear that there's a, a once in a hundred year storm or once in a ten year storm and, and you just have to laugh sometimes at just the, the basic concepts not resonating pretty well. No and and I don't think the um to, to move on slightly, I don't think the uh betting industry is set up for that. They don't want people to know. You know, if you look at uh the way uh bookmaking and bookmaker influence is pervasive across all forms of media, whether it's newspapers, whether it's printed media, so printed media, whether it's online media, whether it's media organizations or you know, everyone's got a every football team's got a official betting partner, um, every newspaper promotes certain bookmakers. So and it's in their interest. You know, this is the way bookmaking is set up, they profit from your losses. So it, there's no incentive from so many sites that are driven by bookmaker revenue to give any kind of in, uh, education or to help people. So uh, it's, it's not it's not a surprise to see and to hear of so many people um, who who are struggling uh, to kind of understand some of these key concepts because you have to dig around to go and find them. Indeed, indeed, and it's a it's a very large topic we cover. But I, I want to ask you about what's happening in the UK and and the regulatory side, and, and often it can be a dry topic, but I do think it's important for for everyone and could have longer lasting impacts on on the industry in the UK, obviously, but I think more broadly and. We've certainly seen the ripple effect from some of these types of things in the past, whether it's been advertising, whether it's been sponsorship, problem gambling or responsible gambling or whatever you want to call it on that front where we've seen things you know, be implemented in, in certain ways and places and then find themselves in other jurisdictions. So maybe as a starting point, just a high level sort of um, perspective from you on on where things sit now, where they're at with respect to the, the regulations in the UK, some some changes that have been thrown out there and, and how they're obviously going to you know impact everyone in the industry. Yeah, so there's been uh, there's a couple of, if you like, reviews going on at the moment. There's a high-level high gambling review from the UK government, so of, of evaluating the Gambling Act and changes that might need to come in, including a review of the regulator, the Gambling Commission. And... Uh, the Gamble Commission have their own review uh, going on, and that's into the interaction with customers from bookmakers. Uh, and that's the uh, most interested probably listeners at the moment. Um, it's going to be very, it's, it's already, you know, I've written about this recently. Um, one of the topics is it's going to be looking into affordability caps. Uh, so you maybe can deposit anywhere from £100 to £2,000. There, the figure's been mooted. I, I lose that amount uh, across all your bookmakers in a, in a given month. Uh, and the reason for this, Jake, is uh, there's an increase in what they call gam- people with a gambling disorder, problem gambling. There's not so much an increase in the number of people who have this disorder, but the amount they're losing is increasing. So that's uh, that, that's a high-level overview of you know why what's happening in the UK, and there's probably some parallels for what might happen in some other countries at the moment as well, uh, in the future as well. So going back a little bit, the the fixed odds betting terminals they changed the the staking there i think they changed it dramatically and that's obviously had an impact and has this been something that's been coming for a while or it's been mooted or or thrown out there for for a fair bit of time and as things have accelerated on the let's say commercial side broadly you know, within the gambling industry it's it's something that's you know obviously been pushed and pushed and pushed and now it's come to the forefront or is your you know feeling that this is something that's been necessary or it's been long awaited and it's finally here or how has that sort of process happened 
So it's, yes, it's certainly been on the cards because of the structure of how bookmaking is. You know, it's a very competitive uh, industry and player acquisition is expensive, retaining them is expensive and all kinds of free bets, promotions and things like best odds guaranteed, which make it very difficult for bookmakers to just turn a profit on the traditional markets. So they're driving, trying to drive more customers to play on the casino, play on online gaming, because there's a blurring of the lines between what's skilled betting, so, you know, placing a bet on horse racing sports versus placing a bet on an online slot or some kind of online casino like roulette where you will lose money long term. And like I said, bookmaking is based on their profits are based on your losses. And and the way it is at the moment with all these things considered, it's skewed toward the squeezing both ends. So the squeezing the winners, you know, they're, they're closing those accounts, limiting them. And at the same time, they're trying to, you know, get more profit from those losers. And they've made them VIPs so they could lose more and more. And the terminology is changing. There's another one called VIPs. And there is some move and there's some changes afoot to try and protect people. But you have situations where people are allowed to lose far too much. And it's affecting lives, it's affecting livelihoods, it's affecting all kinds of people. And it's you know, driving news stories on that topic. So it's been a long time coming. And I, I do fear that, yeah, we're going to see some changes, but it could well be some kind of fudge. And it really won't get to the root cause of the problem, which is tackling the, the way the bookmaking is, is structured in the country, uh, in the UK at the moment. So you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope something fundamentally can change that makes a proper impact. But uh, I'm, I'm a bit fearful about what may, may come out, I'm afraid. Do you think there's a chance that they'll lump everything in together? And what I mean by that is a casino will be treated the same as a sports betting, uh, as well as horse racing, where clearly you or I could spend hours and hours and hours going through all the data and putting together models and systems to try and beat horse racing. And whether that would happen is a, another question. But, you know, in theory and in reality, it's a with enough skill, you can you can beat those games or you can be break even or whatever you want to say, uh, as opposed to RNG games where obviously it's a, a casino type product is just the hold is the hold and over enough spins or or you know turns of the wheel that's what's going to happen. Do you think we might have a scenario soon where some decision making groups will will end up lumping everything together and those who want to recreationally, semi professionally, professionally or anywhere in between bet on things like sports and horses where you can have an advantage will be negatively impacted? Yeah, at the moment, I, I can see that. And that's something I'm trying to help uh, raise awareness of the, the need to differentiate because there are there's evidence, there's stats out there. I've seen the Gambling Commission's own stats and report on this that showcases how certain things like online casino gambling is um, has, has a higher proportion of people who have a problem than, say, betting on horse racing. So, it's in the bookmakers' interest to blur the lines because they don't want you to just bet on sports with them. They want really you to go and bet on these other areas. Open any bookmaker account and you won't get you'll get emails promoting you to to go and take a free bet here and there and you know, maybe occasional sports betting markets. But the majority of the time they want you to go and have a free spin in the casino or go and try out this hot new arcade game. I don't do it myself, so um, I don't exactly know the specifics on it, but um, that's that's what they are encouraging you to do. So there is a fear, you know, that the baby could get thrown out of the bathwater and because of this blurring of the lines and lumping both together, that they'll have limits across the board where if, uh, you know, bookmakers can target very well. We've seen that and how they identify winners and potential winners. They can move and isolate them and they know the markets that uh, they have to be careful about and the types of bets they have to be careful about, they can identify those. But equally, 
The same can be said for people who are more vulnerable to, to having a gambling disorder and there's certain things that they can do specific to target that and to address it rather than just a blanket issue across all types of betting. It should be very targeted using betting history and the information that bookmakers have uh, to identify those with a problem and where they need to step in. So do you think this will result in things getting better generally or do you think it'll just be a bit of a likely to be a stuff up of some kind in, in some way shape or form and it's going to be you know a negative outcome because I, I know from experience in other markets not necessarily the UK but these things are hard and the people involved aren't gamblers or gambling experts or understand the markets as well as you know you do and, and guests on the show have sort of articulated in the past is there any chance we get a positive outcome on this because I my concern obviously is is the impact in other places as well and we don't necessarily want to see this permeate through different jurisdictions if it's not going to work out positively, especially for for those that are trying to treat this as a business. Um, I'm I'm on the fence. I don't really know what the outcome is going to be. It's early days, and this could take you know it's the consultations are ongoing. It could take a long time. The wheels of change are quite slow to turn. I feel on this front, and there could be yet more reviews to come in the future. But we had this. You mentioned the FOBTs. There was, you know, bookmakers railed against that and they, they tried very hard, but they were unsuccessful. And I'm fearful that they're going down the same route again. They're trying the same tactics. They're using a bit of misinformation, a fair bit of misinformation um, to try and keep the status quo when, you know, the, it's unsustainable at the moment, the way it's set up. So unless there's actual practical change that can make a difference, I am, you know, I am fearful that um, we, we might see change that impacts us all. Uh, isn't really that substantially doesn't really make much of a difference or the difference it could make um and certainly you know you look at the markets like the us and european bookmakers coming over and they're applying lots of similar practices uh there so it wouldn't surprise me to see these issues unfold in time especially in terms of people with a gambling disorder if they're allowed to you know, operate in the same vein yeah, no, I think you're right. And even the unintended consequences or indirect outcomes or, you know, the second order effects on some of this stuff, uh, I think for the most part when there's a tightening or a shrinking of what's being allowed or possible or tightening of the regs, you can often see that passed along to the end user, which is, you know, us gamblers, us customers at the end of the day. And, and that'll change pricing. That'll change the ability for a lot of those things to be possible because these bookmakers, a lot of them now obviously are public companies and, have the earnings calls and, and have all the, the you know challenges that come with, with operating those types of businesses. And if things get tighter and tougher, um, unfortunately, oftentimes you'll see that passed on to the to the punters. Yeah, exactly. You can see that you know we will suffer the consequences of what comes out of this. And it's important that people have that their voice be known and you know trying to empower people, encourage people to get involved on this because if you don't do anything, you can't then complain if the rules that come in are detrimental to you or you know, you're not happy about them. So the more people that can, again, educate themselves, read about this and, and give informed opinions, because let's say there's consultations going on now, uh, they are listening. And, but you do have to, you also mentioned, you, not everyone in the decision halls, are, people making uh, decisions on this, um, so whether it be the regulator or those in government understand betting like many people listening to this will no doubt understand it. So it's also important to explain it in simple terms that they can understand and relate to. Um, and then, you know, another unintended consequence is certainly in the black market. Um, you probably 
talk about this a lot more and have more experience being in the US, but obviously it's a big problem there. You know, how do you, once the genie's out the bottle and people are betting into unregulated spaces, how do you then get them back in? seems to be very difficult. And that's part of the fear about if you put these blanket limits across, which uh, are, are people then going to take their betting and, and bet into unregulated spaces? And you know, it's very hard to manage that, whether it be problem gambling or the lack of taxation revenue from it. So uh, there's lots of different considerations to come from this at the moment. So what do people do who are listening that might want to get involved? Are there any steps they can take? Yeah, so if you go to our site, you know, go to smartbankclub slash blog. Um, I've got an article on there. It'll be up there until the 9th of February. Um, there's a consultation going on with the Gambling Commission. They are encouraging end users to go and uh, share their opinions about how gambling companies interact and what they should do in terms of vulnerable people and affordability limits. It's, it's a really shortened survey. It'll take 10 to 15 minutes of your time at best. And I also encourage people to write to their MP to encourage the uh, separating the types of betting we talked about. Uh, and uh, I've got a bit of a petition going on to on these points. So I was advised that's uh, powerful if, um, you know, I were putting together a point on uh, the separation of the type of betting and some of these key points we talked about. If I had a thousand people who agree, that's going to open the door a little bit more for that argument to be heard. So, you know, there are things you can do with listening and yeah, check out the site and go on the blog and, and read the article. Very nice, very nice. Before I get you out of here, I want to ask, you started your own podcast and I'm always curious, especially in the gambling space, why people do it and, and how it how it's going versus what they expected and, and any other learnings. Well, you know, I'm trying to follow, follow in the footsteps of, of, of you, Jake. Um, <laughs> no, not quite a 1.1.5 million downloads <laughs> a fair, fair bit to go. Um, no, but um, I, I was reluctant at first, certainly, but I was encouraged by a few friends of mine, people that I know who said, yeah, I'd really, I've been on a few podcasts. So you were kind enough to invite me on before to, to your podcast and a couple of other ones. And they encouraged me to give it a go. And um, certainly there were some interesting people that, you know, you get the opportunity, as you all know, to really have a deep dive into topics and explore people's process. You know, I'm talking to a lot of professional bettors and tipsters and asking them the questions about what they do, how they break things down, how they found value, how they how they see things, you know, how they adjust to COVID times and how they handle losses and, and their take on the bookmaking event world. So don't really get the opportunity in the written format, certainly to get into that detail. As a nice kind of conversation and an easy chat, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing what you can teach. So I found it, I found it really uh, rewarding and very uh, educate, educational for me to, to do. So from a purely selfish point of view, I find it enjoyable and, I suppose it's it's nice that people enjoy it too and, and download it. But um, yeah, it's, it's good fun. Like I say, getting into a bit more detail as well is really helpful. Yeah, I can concur with that. So before I get you out of here, tell everyone where they can find the podcast as well as uh, the website and Twitter handle so they can follow along. And obviously if they want to get involved on the uh, the UK reg side of things and, and go through the survey, the petition and stuff like that, they'll they'll have the information they need. Yeah, so you can find us at smartbetclub.com. Go to the blog for the details on the UK reg stuff. Um, again, podcast directories are most of them, iTunes and Apple, sorry, Apple and um, Spotify. Just search for Smart Betting Club. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SBC Info. You know, welcome potential to chat with different people, listen to different views and uh, yeah, get in touch if you've got any questions. Awesome, Pete. Appreciate you coming back on the show. It's always fun to chat and uh, hopefully we get to do it again soon. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Jake.